Welcome to The Informed Life. In each episode of this show, we find out how people organize information to get things done. I am your host, Jorge Arango. My guest today is Aaron Malone. Aaron is the chair of the Interaction Design Program at the California College of the Arts. In this conversation, we focus on her long trajectory with design pattern libraries, including her recent work with the Anti-Defamation League, developing tools and best practices to fight online hate. And now, Erin Malone. Erin, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks. Nice to be here. Well, it's very nice to have you. I've known you for a long time. We are friends. We are colleagues at CCA. But a lot of folks who are listening in might not be familiar with you and your work. How do you introduce yourself? Generally, I tell people I'm the chair of the Interaction Design Program at California College of the Arts, but I'm also a longtime practitioner in whatever the flavor of the day is, interaction design, information architecture, user experience. I've been working in the field since the early 90s, um, before the web, so I'm really old. First time that I became aware of your work was at one of the then IA summits, now IA conferences. And I remember seeing, there was poster night, which is a feature of these events. And I remember seeing this incredible poster that mapped, I think it was Yahoo's uh, web presence. Is that what it was? It was the Yahoo network. And in that particular map, I was the client. I didn't actually do that work. I hired... James and uh, well, Branch Logic, that's what they were called before I joined them. And I hired them to map the network. And it was really done as a project for marketing to make more informed decisions around the logo, because there was both a word logo and a logo mark. And we were looking to see how traffic came in and out of various parts of the network in order to understand when we should use um, different pieces of the logo. And at the time, I was head of the platform design team and responsible for the brand on the website. And we learned a lot doing that map, um, but no common patterns emerged to give us the information to the question we were asking. We answered a lot of other questions. We ended up making copies of that map for every division and they would put it up. And it was the first time many people who worked there had ever seen where what they worked on was in the context of all the other pieces of the network. So it was really a useful tool, even though the question we were looking for uh, was not answered well. That's uh, that's fascinating. And it's a, it's a, I love it when that happens. You expend this energy to create this artifact and it has all of these unintended benefits. Um, you use the word patterns, and I remember that you were involved with the Yahoo Pattern Library, right? Yeah, I was the founder of the Yahoo Pattern Library. Irene Ao was the head of the user experience design group, and she wanted to um, create a pattern library, basically instigated by Christina Wadke. Um, And Christina, uh, you know, kind of talked me into coming over. And then she promptly left. And uh, so I built the team. I brought a lot of people over from AOL. 
And we basically developed a pattern library based on the Christopher Alexander and the Jennifer Tidwell uh, model of a pattern language and looking at how different interactions and different ways of doing things fit within the context of the Yahoo network. And could there be a unified way of doing that interaction that could slot into the various contexts? And it was tough going at the beginning because we had a lot of people pushing back, wanting to know why we were doing this, why what what we were doing was relevant to what they were doing, and they were in the field with their, you know, their particular domain of say news or search or whatever. And it was this time of a major shift from the company having to do whatever it needed to do to survive the dot-com bust where they gave free reign to every GM to say, you you do what you need to do to, to make it in your market. So news, you know, competitive to other news, sports competitive to other sports. But now we were a few years later and realizing that the customers, the users of, the, of Yahoo looked at Yahoo as, as just one thing. It wasn't news being compared to other news sites. It was like, I come to Yahoo. And so there was this need to create a network way of doing things. And so we were creating the pattern library along with a bunch of brand guidelines um, to make that happen. And over time, um, we did. We worked with the different uh, properties and their research teams and design teams to use their research to inform um, how we were putting the patterns together and what, what got published but it took it took a few years, and we went through three different pattern curators, Matt Leacock being the first, and uh, Bill Scott being the second, and then Christian Kremlish being the third. Was that the first of these? It was the first publicly published pattern library from a corporate entity ever. I mean, there were like Wheelie, their pattern, and I think UX patterns or UI patterns where they had had done patterns based on what Jennifer Tidwell had published in designing interfaces, but we were the first corporate. And then a bunch followed soon after. I think Salesforce came out pretty soon after and, and a couple of others, but we were the first. Designers, especially these days, particularly those working in the enterprise, might take for granted the existence of things like design systems. Mm-hmm. And the advantages that come with that. But I think that this was, at least my perception as an outsider, was that this was pioneering work that y'all were doing there. It was before design systems really came into play. Because I remember doing a talk for um, an event apart about pattern libraries and component libraries and design systems needing to be this whole thing. And using the honeycomb diagram to show. And I bombed. I mean, it's it's one of the few times where I've given a talk where my my um, the feedback afterwards was it was awful. It was boring. I don't know why anybody would need to know this. We don't do stuff that way, you know. And most of the people at an event apart were web developers and and designers, and it just was too early. It was just too early, and because we were, I was coming at it from an interaction design standpoint and not a brand guideline UI standpoint. Um, it wasn't presented in the right way. And, you know, and then things changed. People, other people came along after. And I think a lot of the work that Nathan Curtis and Eight Shapes did that really kind of helped move that forward. And then 
Brad Frost atomic design. I think that was the linchpin and then material design. And now everybody has a design system. One thing that you were saying there, and I just want to reflect it back to you because I thought it was so interesting, is that when y'all were working on this, you were trying to gain traction in a context where, because of the economic conditions of the industry, the dot-com burst, um, stakeholders were maybe wanting to move faster and like be more agile. And y'all, I can imagine y'all being like the, 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 the pattern police or something saying, no, work within these guidelines. And it's, I guess what I'm detecting there is that there was a tension inherent in the fact that the people responsible for the products might not have seen how such a thing could help them act faster. Is that fair? That is fair. We were not pattern police. So we took a stance of like, we were never going to be the pattern police. What we tried to do was find stakeholders within the different properties who agreed with us, who were on the same page to find early wins. And then as the company grew and the user experience design teams in these different properties grew, particularly after we went public, People came to Yahoo because of the pattern library. So as the nature of the teams evolved, we got more and more people hired who believed in this idea of a consistent common way of doing interactions across the network. And so we had champions in each, each area that would work with us. When we kind of flipped it on them and said, you know, hey, why don't you write this pattern? Because you just did all this research and then we'll help shepherd it across to the other other uh, properties. And, and so that helped a lot as well. Uh, but the traction really picked up after we went public and then all these people wanted to work at Yahoo and partly because of the pattern library. What I'm hearing there is that the artifact served this ulterior purpose of driving some kind of cultural change within the organization. Yeah. And it was painful <laughs> in the beginning. It was really painful. You know, I would sit in meetings and people, people at my peers would ask my boss, why is that group here? Why mm. are they here? Why can't we just get rid of them and let us have the rest of the headcount while I'm sitting in the room? Wow. Yeah. But, you know, I was hired for a reason for a mission and um, they, the other people were just, you know, they just had to suck it up and, and eventually learn to work with us. But, you know, we did try to try very hard not to be the police because that's just an immediate way to get doors slammed in your face. That's a, that's a good reminder. And uh, uh, correction to self, don't use that phrase again. <laughs> um, the, um, I, my sense is that your interest in patterns didn't stop there. You mentioned Christian Crumlish, and you and Christian co-authored a book for O'Reilly that is very pattern-oriented, isn't it? Yes, it is a collection of patterns, um, designing social interfaces. And, you know, we split the book in half, which a lot of people don't know because my name is second. Uh, <laughs> it is a collection of patterns that when you put them together, creates the uh, ecosystem of a social um, experience. And because of that book, I've worked with a lot of startups and other companies, including larger um, enterprises, to help them and advise them in developing social features and making sure that they have all the parts because 
there are some pieces where if you're if you don't have that particularly around moderation um it's just uh something terrible waiting to happen because there are trolls there are bad people out there and if you don't have the tools in place and unfortunately reporting and moderation is often the last thing companies add when it's the first thing they should be thinking about Remind me when the first edition came out, because the impression I have is that that was very early days. It was. It was 2009. So we wrote it over the year of 2008, and it came out in 2009. And then the second edition came out in 2015, um, which we wrote in 2014, really to get mobile better integrated. Because when we did the first edition, we were like, oh, yeah, there's this mobile thing, and it's coming. By 2015, mobile was ubiquitous and everywhere. And so... We rewrote all the patterns, integrated mobile, got rid of certain things that turned out not to be true or be important anymore, and added other things that uh, we had seen over the five years needed to be addressed. Yeah, and uh, and uh, to just to put it in context for folks who might not remember that, I mean, 2008 is not that many years after. Facebook started. It was two years after Facebook started. I think they started in 06. I haven't. I, I've actually been working on a social media history um, timeline thing. And there were social networks before Facebook, obviously, but I, I, I always think of Facebook as the one that really kind of drove this at a scale that uh, where it started having really widespread impact. I would love for you to tell us about a project that you've been working on more recently, which talking with you about it now, I realize is a complete continuation of everything you've been doing here. It is, it um, is. So three years ago, and I'm just kind of give you a little bit of backstory here. Um, I left the, the agency that I was a partner of in, and I did a, two or three projects um, with, with a couple of startups. And I met a guy um, named Dave Siffrey and at the end of that summer, he went to the ADL, the Anti-Defamation League, as the VP of um, the, their Center for Technology and Society. And the, the mission for that group was to uh, work with social platforms. And um, also, he was hired to help build a little mini product team to track and measure online hate in um, social spaces and social games. And he brought me along for a couple reasons. And I said yes, because I realized that many of the problems that we see in social media today are a direct result of the way we were evangelizing and building social tools back in 2008 and 2009 and 2010. You know, back then I was giving talks about how to make social more viral and more engaging by reducing friction and taking away things that got in the way of people being able to post. Well, that is the exact reason why we have um, what they call raids and uh, you know, troll bombing and things like that, because there's no friction to being able to post things and comment on things because we took that away. And the engagement model for the business model is all built into that. And that's a problem as we're seeing now, because none of us ever realized that things would get to the scale that they are. I mean, who knew that Facebook was going to be 
global and serving billions of people. Um, I certainly didn't. You know, we were thinking about, you know, small little little social places where you could have, you know, message boards and conversations with your friends. And um, so I, I went to the ADL and I started out, um, the first project that I was asked to do was to map and model and diagram the ecosystem of online hate. And what that meant was I needed to model the ecosystem of of what social is and how people move through social and the kinds of things they do, um, the kind of activities and tasks and things they do, the kind of people who get involved, the kinds of uh, particularly bad actors, the kinds of ways they target people. And so I developed a series of models, a series of diagrams, um, which are available on the website. And out of that, along with these relationships with these platforms, and a lot of brainstorming around what are all the things that we think um, we should do to improve these platforms. Um, the idea of a social pattern library to mitigate hate came up. And this team has had a long relationship with trust and safety and policy people at multiple um, platforms across games and, and social. And I can't tell you exactly who, but the team is often making recommendations for improvements or they're also ADL is a trusted flagger where they actually will go in and find cases of bad things and report it. And because we're a trusted flagger, um, because the organization is a trusted flagger, it gets actually more attention than just a general person, frankly, unfortunately. And um, in these brainstorm sessions and kind of putting things together, I realized that many of the things we were asking for were the same across all the platforms. And of course that just says, well, there's a pattern here. And so starting with many of the things from my from the book, along with these ideas uh, to add friction, we started developing the social pattern library whose main goal is to mitigate hate and harassment online. So it's really about adding friction, adding pauses, adding places where people can uh, stop and really think about, you know, that count to 10 before you say something, um, write yourself an email before you send it to the other person. Um, and in the process, I also um, created a small advisory board, which includes some other people who are working in similar spaces. There's a group called the uh, Pro-Social Design um, which is a nonprofit, I think they're a real nonprofit now, and they're working on some patterns, predominantly around privacy and data, um, but also safety. And they're testing things first. We're just making suggestions and then looking at the academic research and other research to support our recommendations. Um, and then wherever possible, I pull examples where platforms are doing what we're suggesting so that other people can see how this could work. And then we put together a um, interactive demo of how we think this thing should work. And I think we're about up to 40 patterns right now. And I've got another 15 coming out um, before the end of the month. And these are patterns that you can peruse online, right? Like they're public. It is public. It is online. And it's socialpatterns.adl.org. Anybody can go and read them. 
it's not really listed as Creative Commons, but the intent is as a resource for any designer or developer to use. With you know, and 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 if anybody is doing something with it, you know, I'd love to hear back. How did it work? Because um, there's a lot of different ideas there, and some are going to work in some contexts, and some are not. Uh, it depends on the context and who the audience is. When you were doing this type of work at Yahoo, my expectation is that the audience for the pattern library was fairly well defined in the sense that you knew the the portfolio of Yahoo products. Who is the intended audience for this pattern library? So it is specifically for UX designers and developers. Most of the other work that the group that I'm I've been consulting with um, gears their work towards trust and safety and policy, but they don't build things and they don't design things. And, and having worked in house for a long time, I can tell you designers kind of scoff at the recommendations that policy people make. They're like, yeah, yeah, we'll get to that. Or it's on the roadmap. And that's not to say that those people don't have good intentions and aren't don't have good ideas. It's just, they're not in the trenches building things and they don't always understand what it takes to make change. And so this pattern library is geared towards the designer where it's really about, you know, here's the advantages, here's the disadvantages, here are things that could happen. Here's how we think it should work. And here's a interactive example of it. Um, Long-term, I wanted to be able to release the Figma demos um, open source, but since my boss has since left the organization, and I don't know if I'll be able to do that since it's not my intellectual property. And my current boss is an interim person. When you say that the audience is designers primarily, is this designers working in any kind of space or is it primarily designers working in social environment? I think it's any designer working on a product that has a social component. So you could be working for a news organization, but you have comments. You could be a social network and you have all the things wrapped up in that. So it's really anybody who's designing social pieces into whatever um, type of application, whether it's purely social or um, something else that has social pieces to it, whether it's identity or, or the ability to you know share things or leave comments. I get the sense that it's still fairly early days for this system. You're saying that uh, you've developed, uh, did you say 30? I think there's 40. 40, sorry, and, but there's 15 yeah, there's more. 15 more, and then we'll be doing one last batch and then my contract ends. Because I was going to ask you about what kind of reception this has had, but uh, I got the sense that you haven't heard from folks who are using it. Is that true? So I actually, from a in the trenches with designers, I actually don't know how it's been. I mean, other than people, you know, on Facebook and and Twitter and LinkedIn saying, "Oh, this is a great project," I don't know if people are using it, but I do know it has been used upheld as a resource for designers in congressional testimony. So 
the president of the CEO of ADL was uh, testifying on Capitol Hill and uh, questions about the pattern library were asked, um, particularly around mitigation of, of bad actors and ways to mitigate hate online. Um, but the pattern library was specifically referenced and asked about by a senator. So it has other purposes besides just being a tool for designers. Just knowing that there are tools um, and ways of doing things, it kind of helps inform a lot of other people, even if they're not the primary audience. When you were talking about designing social interfaces and you spoke of reporting and moderation as being key concerns, what I was thinking of was all the discussions recently about Twitter and uh, and the the nature of conversation in that environment. And often it comes down to discussions about the degree of uh, moderation and the ability of users to report um, things that they might consider inappropriate. And um, when you were saying it, it felt both prescient and uh, it's like, well, we've known these things for a long time. We have, but we have certain political things that happened and, you know, running up to 2016 that gave a lot of people permission to act like jerks online, or even worse words, I would like to say. Um, whereas I think people held back and there was a level of civility. I mean, even though there's still, there always was awful stuff online, um, but there was a level of permission that was given because of the politics. And it's been, um, it's like the fire hose now. It's really bad. Although, you may never see it depending on who you're friends with and who you're involved with. Or if you are also depending on your gender, your race, you may never see it. If, you know, if you're, a, if you come from a marginalized community, you potentially might have to get offline because um, it's so easy to be attacked and to be harassed. And then um, there are people who take it to the extreme and they take it offline and they call the SWAT team on people. And people have died because of it. The other point that stood out uh, to me when we were talking earlier was um, when we were recapping the history of how we got to where we are, was that back in the early 2000s, I don't think any of us could have predicted that environments like Facebook or Twitter would have the scale that they have now, right? And the counter argument that I've heard there is that these things are are of a scale now where they are effectively commons, like they are they're kind of like a public square, right? They are, but they are also still private companies. And you know, and so that's why you have this this conflict that you see the the owners kind of butt up against this notion of um what they may consider censorship but also Section 230, which treats these, these companies as just conduits, as opposed to having responsibility for what's published on, on their sites. And so it's, it's a tough one because if you, if you lean too hard, one way it's censorship, but if you don't lean hard enough, then you have a lot of people who are traumatized and victimized and hurt. And so it is a fine line. And I don't envy the the powers that be. You know, I think from from a, a moderation perspective, it's like the teams that I've been working with. They just want the the companies to 
follow through on their own policies. And, and in some cases, they just don't find this stuff. In other cases, the scale and the speed at which stuff is being posted is just too much for their systems. Um, and then you have the flip side where, you know, algorithms are just kind of going crazy and they pull all sorts of stuff down that isn't hateful or, you know, bad actors or whatever. Um, but if they can do the nuanced things that they can do, say, for Europe, for, you know, around their privacy and data data rules, I don't see why they can't do it here, too. It sounds to me like scale is an important factor here, right? Like, and I, I know very little about this, so I'm going to be talking completely out of my comfort zone, but I would expect that the algorithms, the algorithmic moderation stuff becomes more relevant the more people you have on the system, just because of the nature of what a team can do, right? But it sounded to me like the primary audience for this particular pattern library might be organizations that are not necessarily at the scale of a Facebook or a Twitter, but just like yeah. are, are integrating some kind of social component, which makes sense. Yeah, I mean, we we use a lot of examples from Twitter and from YouTube and not many from Facebook, just a couple. But there there are, I mean, Twitter, I would say, for all of its faults, is really proactive in their design team trying, um, uh, you know, doing interactions that add friction or try to mitigate hate. They're, they're really good about that. And I think some things don't come out as fast as we would like, but over the three years that I've been working with this team and on this, um, they've consistently been at the forefront trying new things um, to help with these issues. Um, YouTube's been pretty good too. What's what's your read on the situation? Is it getting better overall? Uh, I think it depends on who you ask and what day, um, because some of it depends on what's going on in the world politically, and if there's directed, um, you know, the fact that they've thrown off of the platforms a lot of really bad actors like the extremist groups and and um, stuff. I think that's helped a lot. I think we we see stuff happening in the fringe sites. And in these dark corners, which isn't good, but there's so the audience in those spaces is so small, so they don't have the reach. Um, so I think in that sense, it's gotten better. One final question um, before we wrap things up. I'm wondering how doing this type of work and maybe not specifically the ADL work, but just in general, your work around um, systematizing interaction design how that has informed your own uh, life, your approach to things, maybe outside of work, if any, right? Hmm. I don't I don't think it has. Um, I mean, I'm definitely a big fan of not reinventing the wheel, you know, as a practicing designer standpoint. And, you know, when, I, when I'm working with clients, I do tend to start at the top at the systemic level. I want to know, I mean, my first question I ask is, do you have a system architecture or some kind of system map of what you've built? And most people are like, no. And then I'm like, I can't design or work in this space until I understand the whole. And whether they pay me to do it or not, I'm going to do it. And even if it's just clicking on everything and looking at how everything works, because that's how my brain works. And I have to see. And then in the process of doing that, then I can go through and see where we have inconsistencies of types of interaction that should be the same. And that definitely comes from having done patterns and being sort of immersed in that. Um, whether that's good or bad, I don't know. Um, 
I tend to work pretty much web-based. I'm not one of these people working in the metaverse or doing crazy inventions of new things. Um, I'm mostly like, let's just clean up the stuff that's on the web. The way that I'm hearing that, and maybe I'm I'm hearing uh, what I want to hear, but the, but the way that I'm hearing that is that um, thinking about what problems can be systematized is um, a leadership skill, right? Yeah. And you're you're in a position of leadership at CCA, and I've I've taught in your program, so uh, I've experienced you as a leader that perspective and um and this th these organizational skills have come across so so i would say that uh, that's an, a very interesting response and one that i can, i can see the effects of it so, <laughs> interesting <laughs> so um where can folks follow up with you erin if they want to find out more well to find out more about the actual the pattern library that we talked about they can go to socialpatterns.adl.org um, but they can also find me on LinkedIn and Aaron Malone. I don't think that's actually my LinkedIn name. I think it's Aaron Cat Malone, but um, I'm also on Twitter as E Malone, not Aaron Malone. That's another writer, um, but I'm, I'm E Malone on Twitter. So I can be found in those places. Well, I'll include uh, links to all those things in the show notes. Thank you so much for sharing with us today, Aaron. Well, thanks for having me. This was fun to talk about the common thread through my whole career, which I hadn't really thought about some of it. I'll tell you what, it's much more cogent than most, including mine. It's amazing. <laughs> thank you again. Well, yeah, thank you. Uh, it was fun to be here. And thank you for listening. As always, you can find notes and a transcript for this episode at theinformed.life. If you'd like to be notified when new episodes come out, please subscribe to my newsletter at theinformed.live slash newsletter. And if you're enjoying the show, please rate or review it in Apple's podcast directory. This helps other folks find it. Thanks 